Welcome to CPP Chat, a colourful look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we get too graphical, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you, Phil. Actual colours may vary. This is due to computer monitors displaying colours differently, and everyone can see these colours differently. We try extremely hard to ensure our photos are as lifelike as possible, but please understand that actual colour may vary slightly from your monitor. We cannot guarantee that the colour you see accurately portrays the true colour of the product. All right. So, uh, very excited to have our guest, uh, uh, James Barrow, on. Uh, did I say that right? I, I never asked you no. how it's pronounced. No, it's, everybody spells it wrong. Everybody pronounces it wrong. It's James Barrow. Barrow. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. It, it is an invariant of the show that when John says, did I get your name right? It's completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm never as optimistic as to say, did I get it right? I always ask, did I get it wrong? Because that's usually the case. Um, so I, I'm I'm dying to get into the, the meat of our interview. I have tons of questions for James. Uh, but uh, we want to kind of do the roundup of the news. Uh, Phil, what should we talk about? Uh, I thought it's just worth mentioning that the, uh, well, it was the last CPP cast episode. It's now, I think, the one before that was uh, Hannah Dusikova on to talk about uh, the the Prague ISO meeting. Uh, obviously, she was hosting it. Well, Avast was hosting it and she was instrumental in that. So that was a great, uh, great catch for CPP cast. So if you want to catch up on what happened in, in Prague, Make sure you listen to that show. And um, maybe we'll get the link up to the video that Bryce and Connor put together. Oh, yeah. They did a, uh, they did a video to celebrate uh, good video. C++ 20. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else is going on? ACU 2020 coming up soon? Yeah, that's uh, just going to be next month, uh, which is, well, just a few days away. Uh, well, the month is a few days away. The conference is uh, two or three weeks away, but... That's coming up fast, so um, worth mentioning that if you're uh, in the UK or accessible to it and uh, thinking of going to a conference soon. Um, obviously, we don't know yet, uh, actually, about any of these conferences, if they're going to be affected by uh, coronavirus. Um, been hearing about a lot of events being cancelled uh, due to travel restrictions, but I've not heard about that in any of these C++ circles yet, so we'll be keeping an eye on that, uh, I... particularly those coming up soon. I heard from one organizer that a, a speaker canceled because their company is forbidding any travel at all. And that's like, wow. oh, that's just as, a, as yeah. an organizer, it's, it's going directly into my heart. Um, speaking to heart, I, there is something else I want to talk about. This is kind of serious. Um, so at C++ Now, we have a program. It's a student volunteer program. It's a little bit competitive. We get applications. And initially, the deal was just that we would waive registration for someone that was accepted. They still had to pay their own way. Bryce worked really hard with students to get their companies or their, I should say their schools to help them pay. But for undergrads, that's unusual and a little hard to do. Uh, for graduate students, there's usually some budget for that. Anyway, um, what happened is that the, the Boost organization stepped up and said, we will commit up to $10,000 a year uh, to fund travel and lodging for this program. And that has allowed us, Bryce is really good at squeezing the last dollar out of travel. Uh, and we have the, the student volunteers share rooms and things like that. So we usually get four to six people we can afford to, to, uh, uh, to bring in. And that's, that's been great. But this year, 
for reasons that I'm not really certain, it may be that Bryce was really successful at promoting the program. We got 46 applications, which is more than twice what we've ever gotten. The number has been going up a little bit every year, but this year it just shot up. Um, and these are not bad applications. I mean, I'm not saying every single one is great, but this program, and I want to say this program has produced people like Louis DeYoung, uh, Vittorio Romeo, um, I shouldn't have started mentioning names because then you go down the thing of, oh, no, who did I forget? Uh, I've forgotten a lot of people. We have three people who are speaking at C++ now who won't be able to come if they're not accepted as student volunteers. They're part of the student volunteer program. All of these guys have uh, – it happens to be three guys in this case. But but all of them have attended before as student volunteers. And generally what Bryce tells them is if you ever want to come back, you have to be accepted as a speaker. It's not technically true, but that gets – that but that – that gives them something to shoot for. And usually we get uh, student volunteers submitting as speakers at C++ Now, CppCon. I mean, this is a great, amazing opportunity for them, but it's great for the community too, because I feel like the average age of C++ programmers is getting higher and that's not a good thing. Um, and so this is a great opportunity for young people. And so I am trying to make the case to the Boost organization that we need to step up a little bit more money. But I'm also, and that's why I mentioned it here, I'm, I'm appealing to the community. We're working on a GoFundMe or something like that. But if you feel like you want to support young people, people who are young and excited about C++, and I will tell you this, as part of their application, they write an essay about um, their experiences in C++. And I actually get a little teary. Now, maybe I'm a little weird about C++. I don't know. But when people are talking about how they discovered, you know, these are people who aren't necessarily, you know, uh, socially, <laughs> socially, um, let's just say they're awkward socially, potentially, and then they discover C++ and they, um, they express themselves. And it, it, it means a lot to me. And I hate saying no. So that's why I'm reaching out. And so, you know, those people who watch the show know this, I'm not a shill for money on this show. This is the first time I'm blatantly saying if you can support these young people coming to the um, uh, if you can support these people coming to the conference, these are great applications. We squeeze a lot out of the money you give and, and we get huge return from what these people are contributing into the community. So. Uh, contact me or go to the cppnow.org uh, cppnow.org website and look for independent uh, excuse me, individual uh, uh, sponsors. If your company can sponsor, that's great too. Uh, contact me and I'll send you a prospectus. Anyway, so that's my spiel. Uh, and I mean this very sincerely. I put in my own money every year uh, to the Boost Scholarship Fund uh, which, is what, uh, which is what funds this. And um, Part of the reason is, as I say, I read the applications and I just we just can't say no to these guys. We got to have I should say, guys, we had more women apply this year than we've ever had. And so um, it's uh, it's great. Um, and so I'm asking you to please, please. And thank you for that. Letting me put that little ad in there. <laughs> oh, I'll have to edit it one out. That's right. You take it all out. <laughs> You won't do uh, that because you have met these student volunteers. Am I oh, yeah. exaggerating about their contribution to the? No, absolutely not. It's uh, it's a really great opportunity. So I really love that that program. <laughs> uh, what well, point were the SFX today? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say people thought I laughed at you when you said that, and what I was laughing is the visual effect you did when you did that. Um, 
Uh, no, because this is really serious. All right. So are there other things we want to talk about? Uh, speakers announced on C++ on C? Yep. Uh, so announced a couple of weeks ago. I was meant to follow up fairly shortly with a full schedule, but I've been a bit behind on, on collecting information on that. So um, just collecting all that, all that information together. The, hopefully by the time this episode uh, airs, that will be out as well. Oh, and and I should say about this, because I'm still on my spiel here. Um, if you're listening to this and and it's it's been several weeks since it's been recorded or something like that, please go ahead and make a contribution because we do this every year. This year is amazing because we've got so many, and I don't know if that'll happen every year. I don't know if this is the new normal or if this is a, a once spike, but it's a great program to support and I appreciate supporting. Sorry. That's fine. Um, just wanted to mention briefly uh, Cohard Minsk. I'm not sure we, we don't mention that one very often. Uh, it's a bit of a smaller conference, but um, they, they had that twice a year, and the next one's in April, April uh, 10th and 11th. Um, far off. Not too far off, and um, I just found out that I'm actually giving one of the keynotes. So, uh, oh, congratulations. That'll be fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Belarus. Yep, that's the one. And uh, I actually have a relative living there as well, so I'll get to see them. All right. I, don't, I have never been to it, but I have met some of the people who organize it, and uh, seems like a great opportunity and again mm, yeah. congratulations to you phil thank you yeah. all right i think that's all the news we have for this for this week cool. so let's let's dig in um so james i first heard of you because i read the review that you wrote about the proposal do we want to start there or where do we want to start yeah uh, we can start with color theory give a little bit of background i mean the, the proposal goes through sort of background and introduction to color theory uh, in light, tries not to go too deep into it because it's a monster topic that we could talk about forever. Okay. Uh, and then after that, goes through more general issues with the graphics proposal. So start with colour, that takes us through the graphics proposal and the issues with it, and then move on to wider stuff. Guess could work. Uh, All right. So maybe you can solve a problem for me that I had. I was working on the conference, and one of the things with the conference schedule, we like to colour uh, sessions to kind of communicate something about the session. So we group the sessions, like uh, those that are about, you know, template metaprogramming, get some color. Those that are about embedded and auto and things like that, get another color. And so we try to do this. And of course, it's really hard to categorize these in a small number of categories. So we end up with a lot of categories and we need to color them so they are as distinct as possible. Yeah. And so I figured, well, this, this shouldn't be that hard, right? It's just numbers. It shouldn't be that difficult, should it? So we just find numbers that are as different as possible from other numbers. And you know what? That didn't work. No. Why the heck did that not work? Oh, it's a, you've opened a minefield here. You've opened the, the biggest can of worms because... <laughs> this is, Leave it this, to me. Huh? This, gets right, this gets right to the center of the problem, is that the way that we perceive colors is not very easy to define, right? Computers, the representation that we have of colors is is not well suited for doing that for common stuff, right? So you have something like HSV, right? Uh, you have hue, saturation, and variance. You have a little color wheel, uh, and you pick colors based on that. You pick your saturation, and you pick your uh, the other parameter. Uh, it's rubbish. It's it's not perceptually uniform at all. So you'd think you'd just be able to pick colors off this nice wheel. Everybody does it, uh, uh-huh. and they come out looking terrible. It's a it's it's a big problem. Uh, just trying to pick distinct colors. You have to go 
relatively arcane to be able to do something like that. There's a colour space called L-Star UV, which nobody's heard of unless you do colour management, uh-huh. uh, which is great for doing this kind of thing, but it shouldn't be that complicated, but it is. Okay, okay, hang on. So, so L-Star UV, and yep. what is that doing that's different than other colour spaces? So, so let me point this out. This was something <laughs> that surprised to me. I knew about RGB. But actually, there's a whole bunch of different color spaces, right? Yep. I mean, a whole bunch of different way of breaking. Because if you think about it, computers are all about transferring the world we know into some kind of number. And sometimes it's just arbitrary. When we, do, when we talk about characters, you know, we should have a show on Unicode sometime. When we talk about characters, we just arbitrarily aside, assign a number to a character. Yeah, that's fine. Right, that's great. But when we talk about most other things, it's kind of a natural – I mean, if you're talking about distance – it's pretty obvious. You pick some unit, and that's the distance, and you make it a number. And most things we do that way. But if you think about color, oh, wait a minute, that's weird. Yep. Because if you only think about black and white, well, then that's easy. It's just like temperature, right? You, high numbers mean this, low numbers mean this. That's easy. But when you think about colors, well, how can you convert? I mean, again, you could arbitrarily assign, say, okay, well, green is three and blue is four. Well, that doesn't really scale very well. <laughs> no. well so I'll explain. So the, the fundamental discrepancy that you run into is that if you have a light and you have a certain amount of light being emitted from that light, say you have a red light and you emit a certain number of photons per second out of it, yeah. if you emit twice the energy out of that light to a human being, it's not twice as bright. That's the fundamental discrepancy here is, is that human perception of colour is nonlinear. And that's the mistake that people make absolutely all across the color the color world is that fundamentally twice the brightness out of a lamp is not twice the twice the brightness to a human being that is where you run into all of the issues is that just a uh, you know almost any time you work with physics with distance it's a square rule is it just that that you need to take is is how do i say is human perception still regular it's just it just has a square rule or a square root it's, in Human perception is basically very non-linear. It's the same problem that you run into with sound, in that you take decibels, uh, and 20 decibels is twice as loud as 10 decibels, but it's a power of 10 law, so the the difference in power emitted is enormous. It's the same problem with colour, and it's not quite the same scale of... uh, like power of tens but they're just the human brain the human eye does not perceive stuff linearly uh and it's just it would be really great if it did because it would make my life a lot easier but it just doesn't <laughs> and it's just been ruining everything forever so if there's one change that i could make to human beings it would be that but it's not gonna happen anytime soon <laughs> there isn't an evolutionary solution here have you come up with some genes that would <laughs> not not in the near future but i'm gonna pick you up on something that you said which is where you said okay. uh RGB, right? Okay. RGB, the, the takeaway from this talk is that RGB doesn't exist. It's not, it's, you should never talk about RGB. This is, this is the fundamental problem that we run into. So when people say RGB, you have three values, but what matters is what those three values represent. So RGB, as most people think of it, is actually sRGB, right? I don't know. So S. But it, it, it is. Okay. Uh, so, so normally, if you take a just a, if you just Google a color off the internet, it will be sRGB. You have some values which are between naught and two five five uh, two five five, and those are great for displaying in your computer monitor. But they are you can't do maths on them. And That's what does the, the S stand for? Uh, standard, I think. Somebody okay. asked me this the other day, and I had no idea, and I felt like a bad color engineer. <laughs> 
There's SCRGB as well, and nobody knows what it stands for. Is that what you are? You're a color engineer? Well, I guess so. Do you say that at parties? What do you do, James? Oh, I'm a color engineer. Well, can you engineer me some green? <laughs> I like to introduce myself as a color wizard. Because nobody understands what's going on. I was talking to some game developers at, at Prague, and they went, oh, wait, hang on. We do do colour completely wrong. You're right. <laughs> and that's terrifying when, when just members of the industry suddenly realise that they've done everything horribly wrong. <laughs> well, better the game industry than the uh, transportation industry, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah, at least it's, we're not crashing anything into anything else. But, um, what, so one of the things I did was a, a review of, of the games industry. So I went through common graphics toolkits, stuff that people use, right? SDL, SML, MGUI. Unity, Godot, Ogre, and the Unreal Engine, as well as Flash. Uh, I didn't review Flash because nobody uses it anything for more, and I'm incredibly glad it's dead. Uh, but so I went, I went and reviewed all these tools, and the number one takeaway from it is that all of them do it horribly wrong. It's all broken. The industry is just completely broken. Let me if ask you, you this, anything, though. Are hmm? they all doing it wrong the same way? There's categories of errors that people make. So, so, so okay. the Unreal Engine is the only one that does it right, uh, and the rest of them... Oh. You mean it, it actually is doing linear... It actually is doing linear colour right. It does everything correct as far as I can tell. That's the only one that does it. All the wow. rest of them make a wide variety of mistakes. It's really bad. Like Some of them you just can't use correctly. Like SML provides a colour class. There is no correct way to use it, which is baffling because people use SML for everything. SDL as well makes the same kind of mistakes. MGUI, I'm trying to fix it in MGUI. I'm submitting a PR to try and get it to work. So, it's, so I'm, it's I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a, a game, a game uh, uh, engineer. Um, is the Unreal Engine touting this? Are they, I mean, somebody at Unreal didn't just stumble onto this. Somebody actually <laughs> understands it, right? Put a massive amount of work into getting it correct. And you then why... Think- you would think that they would. You'd think they'd turn up and go, the Unreal Engine actually does this correctly. But I, I think the problem is, is it's one of these things. And one of the, the main takeaways, I think, from this talk is that it's not that complicated to do colour correctly, right? You just have to know that it's a thing that you need to handle correctly. So you can actually get away with relatively basic maths. You just need to know what you're doing. And then the actual complexity of implementing it is not that high. Uh, but the main problem is, is that people don't know that this is a thing that you need to be aware of. They don't know the difference between linear colour and sRGB, for example. Uh, and they don't know that there's only certain kinds of operations that you can do in one and certain kinds of operations that you can do on the other. So it's, okay, a, so, it's a total mess. So if, instead of using RGB, if I had been using this linear colour, whatever that is, yep. when I was trying to pick colours that were distinct to, to colour uh, sessions on a schedule then I could have done the kind of math that I was trying to... I could just... Oh, not even then. So it gets, oh. it gets, it gets worse, right? So it, it always gets worse. Is, is, <laughs> if you think that you know what's going on, there's another layer and it just gets much worse. Oh, so the, the, the fundamental problem is here is, is that linear colour, what linear colour is, is that say I have a green light and a red light and I shine them both on the same spot. The added together power of what you see, right? Not what you perceive, but the amount of light that comes out of those two lights added together. That's a linear just adding together of those two powers. And so when you're dealing with emitted light coming out of lights, that's linear colour, right? When you're dealing with colour as humans perceive it, that's not linear colour. So 
Linear color is good for doing like reflection equations on. So if you want to calculate how much energy reflects off a table or something like that, linear color is great for doing that. Uh, and you don't want to use sRGB for doing that because it will be all horribly wrong. But if you want to calculate how a human perceives a color, sRGB is great. But it's difficult to use sRGB to pick two colors that are far away from each other because what you really want is a color wheel. You want just like a nice wheel where you can go oh yeah you know this color over here is this different from this color over there so is you that actually hsv need a... hsv is not very perceptually uniform so people have tried right uh -huh. so people have tried with hsv and so people reach to hsv because it's got a wheel in it it must be good uh but it's not hsv is also rubbish just because the definition of it's not very good and so you should never use hsv for anything um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I can say. Uh, there are better alternatives to HSV. Generally, if something's got a star after it, like H star S, uh, uh, like L star UV, it means that people have thought about the like making it absolutely perceptual, uh, like perceptually linear, so that it's actually like a good color space. Uh, but you want to use something which is not HSV, basically. Okay, it's I sidetracked good. you. I'm sorry about that. Uh, so we were talking about what RGB is actually good for, and that's perception, human yes. perception. sRGB specifically. Is, so is. are you saying, I mean, if I were trying to do, which I'm not, but if I was trying to do a game, and in this game there is a red light and a green light being shined on a table, I'd want to see what that is. Are you saying that, that using the linear wouldn't be the right thing to do? I mean, it would give me the accurate value, but it wouldn't look right to a human? No, so, so, so linear in that case would be the correct way to calculate the reflected energy off the surface. So linear color, basically, is you, you always want to do maths on linear color. So you've got any kind of maths, any kind of equation, you're doing it on linear color, right? If you want to add two lights together, you want to multiply them by some constant, you want to do anything with it, you want to use linear color, and that's the correct thing to do. So you end up with a linear color at the end of your graphics pipeline, but you can't display that on your computer monitor because your computer monitor doesn't accept linear color. It only accepts sRGB. And so the fundamental reason for this is because you can stuff sRGB into 8 bits per channel, whereas you can't stuff linear color into 8 bits per channel. And that's the whole reason that we have this mess. This horrible mess is basically for space compression reasons, because you just can't stuff linear color into as little space as you can sRGB, which is annoying but it's just the way that it pans out so when you get to the end of your graphics pipeline you go i want to put this color on the screen your linear color you then have to convert it to srgb or ask the hardware to do it for you and then that's what goes on the screen okay um i guess that sounds like it should be manageable it doesn't sound like as long as you know to do that right i yes. mean that's that's the problem it's yes. it's kind of like when we have a string of text and we don't know what the encoding is. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Right? And, and so it's not, if you know the encoding, hoping. you know, oh, this is about to be output, so I need to convert it to the correct out encoding for this. And I can convert it because I knew what it was. But if I just have some arbitrary set of, here's three values, it's a color. Yep. That doesn't tell me anything. It's just like saying, here's a string of bytes, it's a string. If I don't know the encoding, it doesn't help me. Yep. Oh, one of the particular problems that you run into with color with that is, is that a string of three values will often be somewhat like 0 to 255, right, which is 8 bits. Yeah. Uh, and people will often accidentally stuff color into 8-bit per channel types because they think, well, this is actually sRGB that I've got instead, and so I can store that. But you can't. And if you put a linear color into 
8 bits, you end up with horrible precision loss. You get banding absolutely everywhere. And so a huge number of graphics APIs actually suffer from this. If you put in dark colors into them, when you've got sRGB frame buffers, you're dealing with linear color, you just end up with terrible banding. And so you have the trade-off in APIs like this, which is either you have terrible banding or you have incorrect color management. And there's no in-between. You can't, you can't get the best of both worlds because they're just, they've been designed incorrectly, which is hugely annoying. So, so what is the problem there? I mean, I didn't quite follow. So you're saying that if I have done all my calculations linear, now I want to display it to the screen. I, there's no win there, or is it because yep. the library was bad or the hardware is bad? I mean, why is so, it that so it can't work? I'll take the example of, of uh, SFML because I know it very well. Uh, SFML has an SF color class, and so the SF color class is used for everything. It's just how you specify colors are going to go on the screen. And so the problem that you run into is that the SF color class only stores four UN8s, right? Each for one of the colors and alpha. So you have UN8 for R, UN8 for G, UN8 for B, and UN8 for alpha. When you are operating SFML in linear color modes, UNA is not enough storage space to store your linear colors in. So the API is just fundamentally unworkable because you can't store a linear color in 8 bits. You end up with precision loss. You need 14 bits to be able to store a linear color. In so, it. so it's not the conversion from linear color into what I'm going to display on my monitor. It's yep. actually trying to manipulate it before making that. Yeah, it's, it's trying to stuff it into your graphics API, which doesn't understand the linear color needs higher precision than sRGB because so the way so when you're talking about the API you're not talking about me talking to the monitor you're talking about me trying to manipulate colors in a library yes so we're talking about sfml I've got a triangle that I want to draw on the screen and I've said I want this triangle to be to be red please but I want it to be red in linear color uh the API is designed so that everything is specified in sRGB uh even though you need to run it in linear color mode to get correct blending and results and stuff on your screen so it's a it's an unwinnable situation. Unless, really you, <laughs> unless you do all of the calculation yourself and then just tell it the answer. Well, e- even then, so you have, a, you have a vertex that you want to put on the screen. You just have a point in space with some associated data with it. Uh, and one of those pieces of associated data might be color, or it, it will be color. Uh, but often the library will say, well, color is 32 bits, 8 bit per channel. And there's nothing you can do about that. So you're screwed. Well, that's what I'm saying is you'd have to manage that entirely yourself. And yeah, then you'd have to use a different library entirely. Yeah. And, and then, uh, and then tell the library, okay, this is the color I want you to use for this. Yeah. If, if it allows you to customize the, the types that are going through it, but okay. they often, they often don't. So it's, a, right. it's a so, big problem. So, uh, okay. So we kind of begin to understand the problem, but the problem seems pretty universal i mean you haven't told me anyone other than unreal that does this right at all and you were just no. you were just talking about games is there are there other libraries out there that i could use for graphics it's like oh no they they nailed it on this one you wouldn't want to use them for game development so for example uh apple and android both have their own color management on mobile devices uh which do do it correctly they don't allow you to do potentially everything that you might want but it, it they've got a pretty full-fledged set of functionality uh, the problem that you run into there is that it's not really game development stuff, right? It's more for like, you take an image, you want to do it, put it onto a screen. And the, the actual main problem with all of this color stuff just universally is that it's not strongly typed. So the, the thing that Unreal does so well is that it has a type for linear color and it has a type for sRGB. 
And you can't mess that up. There's no way that as a programmer you can you can accidentally convert between the two. Or they use had them strong the typing. Place. Yeah, strongly typed. Uh, and so everybody makes the mistake other than Unreal. Actually, I actually don't know of a library or games toolkit other than Unreal that's open source that uses strong typing for colors, which is crazy. Yes, that is. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you mean? What do they do for colors? It's just a 32-bit? They have just they have one color class, uh, and that color class the documentation won't say what color space it's in. So you have to go digging through the source code, which is firstly not very good. Even Unity, Unity, you have to go digging through the you have to just guess as to what color space it's in. Unity, the Unity engine, uh, and so you just have to hope that they've done it correctly, which they haven't. Uh, and so some of them will use the wrong kinds of data storage types, which is eight bits. That's very common to do. SDL and SFML make those mistakes as well as MGUI. Um, some of them will have two modes that they operate in. So they'll have a linear color mode and a non-linear color mode. And the non-linear color mode is incorrect. So you sort of think, why, you know, why does that exist? But they put both of them into the same color type. So you have no idea what you're dealing with. You have this, you've just got a thing and it's in any color space and you want to do operations on it. How, do, how am I meant to write correct code? Uh, and the answer is, is that people don't. Um, okay. All right, so we've got this background that everything is awful in the in <laughs> the color much. world, and then somehow you became aware of the two D graphics proposal in the standard. So, um, how you credit um, STL for encouraging you to write the paper? Did he introduce you to the proposal? I mean, how did this happen? I so assume I, I assume the code you write is in C plus plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you're a so, coder, but you're but you haven't been in the committee. No, this is my first interaction with standardization at all. I, I've okay. vaguely followed what goes up. Like, I follow what goes on with C because it's interesting. Sure, like all of us here, we we all like C um, But I've never had any involvement in standardization other than just posting on Reddit, going, "Why is this thing like this?" Like <laughs> so many people do. Um, yeah, so it was, it was STL really. He sent me a message on Reddit, just basically saying because I, I made a post just saying I've noticed some weird things in the graphics post. He said you know what, you should write it up into a paper because, frankly, people posting on Reddit is just screaming into the abyss, yes. uh, which it really is. Um, which could be therapeutic, but it's yes. not going to change what's in the standard. No, it's not very helpful. And One of the things I didn't realise at the time was quite how few graphics developers are actually in the C++ committee. I think there was maybe six people there in total, um, which is not a huge number of graphics developers when you're trying to deal with something as large as C++. So... We have the same, by the way, we have the same issue, and you know, when when you start looking at networking things, we have the same situation. There just aren't enough uh, people who really understand networking, and they talk about ASIO, and they just don't know what they're talking about, and that's yep. that's a problem. Uh, yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's a problem for graphics, and yeah. so you looked at the proposal, but you had looked at it even before then because you were grumbling on uh, on Reddit. STL is the moderator, one of the moderators, uh, on the CPP uh, subreddit. And so he sees this and he says, you know, you'd be more constructive if you put your thoughts into a formal po uh, paper, and um, which could be he trying to be helpful or it could be him just trying to shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was he's, one thing I'll say about the, the C++ standardization process is everybody's been incredibly helpful and friendly all the way through. There's been no right. and I know that anybody trying to shut anything down. Everybody's been absolutely yes, wonderful. I know that S STL's great. And he's I wouldn't... Great. Yeah, he's great. Um, so, yeah, so he, he sent me this thing saying, you know, go and actually put your thoughts into a paper because 
basically the feedback that you're putting on here in Reddit. Correct or not, it's actually not very helpful. Um, it's going to yeah, be was, lost. It's not going to go to the committee. Yeah, so I, I was... I, I, been had had a skim basically of the graphics proposal because it, it occasionally crops up on reddit people go oh the graphics proposal is still going around and i thought well i know a bit about color management i'll just see if they've made the same mistakes that everybody else has and the answer was yes um so uh, the, the the proposal is actually based on a specific existing library yes so it's it's derived from cairo um but it's it's diverged quite a lot from cairo since then but it's it the fundamental initial version of it was derived from Cairo, and a lot of the API is still relatively similar to the way that Cairo works. And uh, what can you tell us about Cairo? Uh, Cairo is very old at this point, and the, it's basically so. So Cairo has two major problems, which is that the performance of it is not amazing because it was designed in a time where graphics architecture was very different to the way that it is now. Uh, and the other angle of it, as well, is that it has no sRGB support, has no support for this linear color stuff. Uh, people have tried to stuff this in over the years, but the current version of it doesn't have anything. It, it It's unworkable, basically. Um, so those are the kind of two major problems of the performance and the color management in Cairo. So this is, and, and you know, I'm sure that, that the, the, the graphics proposal has really, really been uh, controversial. And one yes. of the points that that was made is should a library like this be standardized and people were fighting huge wars over that. And I was trying to say, I have my opinion about that, but if you want a library, this isn't the one you'd want. And I thought that got overlooked. It was like, this is not a strong contender. If you were going to pick a library to put into the standard um, and you, if everybody agreed, yeah, 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 we need a 2D graphics library, it's appropriate, it's going to be worth all the time it's going to put into it, all those kinds of things, it's unlikely this would be the best choice. Am I wrong about that? So one of the things that's very difficult about graphics is that graphics is a moving target. All right, I'm going, to, I'm going to put in the diplomatic answer here, which is that graphics is a moving target and it's fundamentally very difficult to standardize. Graphics architecture evolves constantly. The way that graphics worked 20 years ago is totally different to the way that graphics works now. And part of the reason uh, for that is because it is so important that hardware designers are throwing tons of uh, of work at this, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and so if if somebody can figure out a, a trick, a better way of doing something, that could generate ripple effects that libraries are now written differently because, hey, yeah. if, if I can get a 20% improvement in performance and all I have to do is completely rewrite my library from the ground up, well, some people are going to think, Easy. that's a win. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, right. that's exactly what happened when Vulkan turned up. So the new uh-huh. generation of graphics APIs came along and suddenly you had to rewrite all of your engine code. You had to redo absolutely everything because they were totally different. And to get good performance out of them or to get the best performance out of them, you needed to fundamentally redo the way that you did all of your graphics. And so that my, is just a truth. My argument then is, if that could possibly happen again, then what that means is the last thing we would ever want to do is put graphics into the standard. So, there's a, is a, this is a very interesting conversation. I so, hope so. That's why we're recording it. <laughs> there, there are, yeah, yeah exactly. I've got to tell you a really boring thing now. Uh, okay. no, so, so, there are graphics libraries that have existed that have been stable for quite a long time. So, something like SDL has existed roughly in its current form for a significant amount of time. And SFML actually, despite all the problems with it around color management, has existed in its current form for a significant amount of time. Um, so it's easier is it, to standardize. Is it staying performance? In other words, no. one of the things that we standardize is we never standardize an implementation. So if somebody made the argument, said, well, John, uh, I can completely rewrite the library, the implementation side, every generation of hardware with no problem, 
um, I, then then that mutes my argument. That is a that is a strong refutation of my argument. If you assume you can do this without changing the API, I'm a little yeah. skeptical of that, but perhaps I'm wrong. No, so the answer is basically no. You can't get you can't get the best performance out of an API like that because you you're right is that you do need to change the API. So so the, the, so the libraries that you what did you say SDL. Let's take SDL and SFML as a good example. Okay. All right. So they have stayed somewhat performant, but that's but they're limited by the fact that they that they have the advantage is that the APIs have not changed. Yes. So it's the SFML, for example, is very easy to use. If you're a beginner and you want to do graphics, I would 100% recommend it because it's an excellent library, very high quality. But the performance is not amazing, right? It's not the best performance that you will ever get out of a graphics API. And that's just the way that it is. They've, they've traded stability of the API and ease of use and you know beginner friendliness and all of this kind of stuff for some performance. And it's not that the performance is bad, right? right. You can make games with it. I've made games with SFML. I've helped people make games with SFML. It's fine. You can do tons of stuff in it and it's great. But if you really want that cutting edge of performance, you really want that maximum utilization you're not going to get it through SFML. And it's not because the implementers don't know what they're doing. It's because they've accepted the limitations that we're not going to break the API to do more heroic uh, performance. Yeah, you would end up having to have a much more complicated API. I mean, fundamentally, if you want the best performance out of your API, you have to have something like Vulkan. And in SFML, it's one line of code to make a window. In Vulkan, it's a thousand lines of code to make a window. And literally a thousand point, lines of code. Yeah, literally a thousand lines of code. And somebody at some point has gone, it's not worth it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, right. I just want to make a window and I just want to draw stuff to it. But, so, but, in, but in the standard, you know, that's what, for C++, that's our standard is that there can't be there can't be a language that's that's underneath C++. It has to be as efficient as as it can be. Yeah, it's 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 there's both sort of true and both sort of not true because there's a lot of coming from game development, people don't use the standard library because it's not very fast. Um, so if you if you were to standardize graphics in C++ that wasn't the most performant, but it was something like SDL or SML that was actually quite good you know it's had yeah. a standard api that people use for a long time and people build stuff with it like people really build stuff with both yeah. of those like they're they're both useful pieces of functionality even though it's not the best performance that you could possibly get i still think there'd probably be quite a lot of value in that if okay. it, hypothetically if it were possible to standardize graphics if you could okay. make it good enough then yeah I don't think we have to meet an absolute bar of performance because otherwise you, people who want that are already using Vulkan. They're already using these these low-level technologies well, to get the and, and, and there's a certain truth to that. I mean, if you were really looking for high performance, uh, not only are you not going to use the the streams for – I'm just talking about if you're, if you're doing I.O. and you're not going to use yep. not just the streams, but you wouldn't even use the format, which is a better library in a lot of ways, but you would exactly. – you would really want to write something that is platform specific. In other words, the first thing you'd say is, look, I really want high performance. I'm going to throw away portability and I'm going to use the OS calls directly because there's no, I mean, there's an abstraction penalty there. Yeah. There's, or you go and find no a library to... that somebody else has made that does it yeah. really fast and breaks the API and doesn't have a stable ABI and you don't have to sure. worry about any of it. Sure. Um, okay. That's... So I, so I sidetracked you by talking about Cairo. Um, so the, you read the, you you read the the proposal, and uh, you had you had kind of just read it, and you grumbled on 
on Reddit. And then now you're, you're, you've said, okay, I'm going to write this formally. You looked at it a little more closely. Uh, Yeah. So, so I, 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 basically started reading through the graphics proposal once STL sent me this message because I thought, why not? It'll be interesting to write a paper about this. I, I, I really should write something constructive rather than just whinging on Reddit because, you know, I think we do too much whinging on Reddit collectively. But it's so much fun. Useful. It is fun. I love doing it. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so I thought I'll, I'll, I'll note that stance. So I started looking through the graphics proposal and I found, you know, it's, it, you, you find loads of mistakes that people make with color management. It was fairly straightforward. But um, I think the, the, the kind of, because some of that can be fixed. The kind of more interesting bit is whether or not this is the kind of API we want as a graphics API in C++, whether or not it has the legs and longevity to actually survive for 30, 40 years is something that people are going to put in their implementations is, I think, the kind of the more interesting question. Um, And I'm not convinced that the current proposal, the performance is going to be too dodgy with the current proposal for people to use it as it is currently. And in 20 years time, the performance of it will be completely, you won't be able to render anything with any kind of performance. So So are you you saying that the color management part could be fixed? Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I'm actually talking with the the authors at the moment about how to fix the graphics proposals, color management. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. I think they need to take out all the texture support, <laughs> which is a bit sketchy. But um, if you take out all the texture support and then you introduce a couple more types, you can get strong typing Unreal Engine style, and then you let the implementation just decide what's going on with the format. I think you can fix it, and I think you can get linear color out of the other end. I think you can do all of your blending correctly. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm providing advice on that at the moment because right. I would like but, to see it be correct, if nothing else. But you're less optimistic that the rest of the proposal can be done in a way that would have sufficient performance for a C++ standard library. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think that the performance of the rest of the proposal, if, if, it, was, if it was a TS now, uh, I think what we would find is that it performs much worse than SDL or SFML or something like that. I think it one of the arguments that I make is that it's very hard to implement additional functionality into it because of the way that it's designed. And so it will be much less functional than equivalent libraries like SFML or SDL. Um, It's going to be tricky to fix that. So one of the arguments I make in the paper is that they don't separate types out into CPU and stuff that can be implemented on a CPU and stuff that can be implemented on a GPU if you want to. And that makes it very tricky to get good performance out of the API because that's a very old style API that existed 20 years ago. And the industry kind of moved past that because it's it's basically just tricky to get good performance out of that for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, so, yes, it's it's that requires a lot more work to fix. It requires basically a major redesign to the way that the graphics API operates currently. That's the thing that I think is most problematic about the graphics proposal currently. Okay. Um was there anything else that you wanted to beat up on it now that we've kicked it pretty? <laughs> yeah, I feel bad because it's, it's a it's 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 a lot of work that's been put into it, and it's it's you know that's one of the things that that when people talked about it is everybody was like, these are smart people who worked really hard yep. to get this into a proposal, and the killer was it should have been the committee should have stood up a lot earlier in the process and said. This is a mistake. Don't go down this road. Because, as you said, the people who are doing this are very sincere, very smart. They've put a lot of effort into it. And, uh, you know, I think the fault here is that when a proposal comes before the committee, um, it's tough to say, yeah, let's take this now. 
it's tough to say, no, we're not interested. It's really easy to say, why don't you go and make a whole bunch of changes and we'll see if it's better ne- next time. And that's, that's an easy thing for you to say as a committee member. But what you're really, you're really, for one thing, you're obligating the committee to spend more time on it because they will come back. And you're encouraging the person making the submission when, in fact, you might be more charitable to say, this doesn't have a future. Yeah, well, gra- the, the the thing is, right, is that graphics is it's really complicated. And I've been doing 2D graphics particularly for a long time, and I wouldn't want to write a proposal about it because it's it's going to be complicated. You're going to make mistakes. And you've got a s- small group of people trying to make something for a very extended period of time, and it's, it's hard to get feedback on it. So there's actually... So the graphics proposal is going to keep going, right? And it, people are going to keep developing. And one of the new directions, which I think is a much better direction for it, is that instead of trying to just make this giant monolithic TS, which is 267 pages long that I had to re- read several times <laughs> and try and review, uh, instead you break it up into smaller chunks, right? So we've got linear algebra, which is there's a linear algebra proposal going on at the moment, and that will remove all of the linear algebra out of the graphics proposal. And then me and Guy Davidson are working on a colour proposal, which is for strongly typed, correctly done colour conversions so that people can never make it up ever again it will make my life so much easier uh and then you just do it incrementally in bits you standardize each bit that the graphics proposal needs in c plus plus and then at the end if you need to do graphics it's so much smaller it's much easier to review and i think part of the problem is just that because it's so huge it took me ages to get through it and to really understand what was going on and i could only really review small bits of it like i only really know about color management and 2d graphics and it's very difficult for you know, you want to get investment from a group of experts to go and review a 267-page long paper and then produce their own 20-page long paper, go to Prague, present it, do all of this sort of stuff to be able to get that kind of feedback back. Right, which, it's, as you pointed out, with only six people on the committee that are graphics people... It's uh, difficult. And and I'm not... You know, one of the one of the arguments that was made to me is, because I was saying, look, this just doesn't belong here. One of the arguments is, look, what we need to do is, is establish vocabulary types. Because... If you have third-party libraries, but they they don't have any common data structure that they can share, uh, that's that's problematic. Whereas if you were to say, look, here's the format of what a date looks like. Even yeah. if you didn't do any date functions at all, if the standards can be, which of course they do with Cronus. I'm just saying as, as a hypothetical, if you just said, look, this is how dates should be stored, then everybody can go out and write their own date libraries to do whatever they want and say, yeah. and this is how we interchange if you have a function. you know, And in fact... The argument um, that uh, Vinnie Falco made about he, – he wrote his own library for um, uh, parsing XML. And it's like, why do we need another one of those? And he said, because everybody who's written these has focused on performance of the parsing, which you can see why they would. But yeah. he says, that's not the important thing. The important thing is the data structure you put it into. Yeah. Because if we standardize the data structure, then somebody else could write a new parser in the future. And everyone can use it and, in fact, could easily adapt a new library if we, you know, if we have an idea for this is how XML should be stored in memory. And that's, what he's, that's why he wrote his own. It's like because he focused on that instead of on optimizing the parser. And, of course – being Vinny, the parser is screamingly faster. So that's... <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's that's one of the fundamental problems with color is that is that the data storage types that people use for it are just all wrong. And so if you could establish a common data type or, or set of data types, you know, it's gonna it's, you're going to end up with templates involved everywhere. But 
you establish a common data type that everybody can use, it would make everybody's life a lot easier because suddenly every library could provide an overload that just said, oh yeah, and we also take the stud color type. Uh, or we take a stud sRGB, or we take a stud linear color, and then it becomes massively more difficult to mess it up. Even if you right. don't, even if you don't provide that much extra on top of that. Although I'm right. planning to provide, you know, conversion functions and stuff like that. Sure, it would it would fix a lot of the industry, I think, quite rapidly, which would be great. Yeah, no, that and that is the proper role for the committee, I think. And that suddenly you've won me over. Um, <laughs> I'm really skeptical about about what we have now, but also, again, it's not, well, I've told you what I thought about Cairo, but, um, but it's not just that it's the very idea of what we're trying to do. Is this appropriate for the standards committee? On the other hand, what you just talked about and say, okay, let's, let's talk about some fundamental vocabulary types that people could build libraries on. Suddenly you've, you've, you've got me yeah. thinking that maybe, maybe there's, there's a role for the committee there. I, I think that what what will happen is is that we'll we'll standardize these vocabulary types, right? So we'll get linear algebra, we'll get color management, and then I believe it's geometry that, we'll, that they're going to try and get standardized. And we'll standardize all of these parts. And so a lot of graphics will incidentally have been standardized, but they'll have been standardized for you know in in the in a wider variety of usages. So we'll have a proper, really cool linear algebra type that people can use. You can just have a vector that you can multiply with something else. It'll be great. Uh, and we'll have a color type that you can use for all kinds of color management. Uh, and then graphics will, it won't fall out at the end. You still have to standardize graphics if you want to standardize graphics. But so much stuff has already been done that you're arguing about the structure of how the data types in graphics should be done rather than arguing about, well, is the color management correct? Because you know the color management is correct because it's already been standardized. So I think that will make it a lot easier to figure out what on earth is going on with 2D graphics because it, it will shrink the proposal massively as well. So before the, before the show, we were chatting about audio. Yes. And one of the things I said is that, you know, audio is all about the challenges there about keeping things in real time. Um, we've had... Uh, we've had this discussion on, on previous podcasts. And um, so I said, I didn't really see that there's a lot of overlap. But what you pointed out, and I, you convinced me, I see it now, that the real issue is how the data is stored. Yep. Because how you store different, uh, uh, different types of audio uh, data, you know, different bit depths, different sampling uh, times, all sorts of different things. Uh, and you want to be able to mix those so that you can play those. And all, there's all sorts of things. That's essentially analogous to storing color data. Uh, because again, you know, if I have a large, a large data set, whether it's a photo or a movie, I want to compress that data as much as I can. And yeah. I have to figure out well, what are the trade-offs involved? How much am I willing to compress? And um, so it does have some similarities. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is that the audio, again, in the entire standards committee, there's you know a handful of people who know anything about audio, right? But they are they're getting some success in what they're asking for. And one of the interesting things about what they're asking for is if you look at the proposal, some naive person would say, what does this have to do with audio? Because it doesn't really yeah. – they're not standardizing. Here's the interface to the, the sound chips on these different – you know, devices. No, no, no. All they're standardizing is, well, you know, this is what, you know, we just need a data structure that looks like this. Yep. And that data structure could hold anything. It could hold audio data. It could hold color data. It, you know, so it, it is kind of interesting. And again, it's it's kind of what you're talking about is, well, let's, 
let's just pick the low-hanging fruit that becomes a vocabulary thing and put that in the standard. And, and maybe we don't need to go any further. And I think that's what the audio people are saying is you give us this, that's going to make our lives much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly, particularly I think is, is doing the difficult bits of API design that people mess up. I think that's what the C++ people really want to standardize is you want to get somebody who knows, who knows the problems, who's been through the, who's been through the pain of, of all of the APIs being wrong. And the audio guys are great and they know what they're doing. So you really just want them to go, okay, these are the problems that everybody runs into. This bit is standardizable. Let's just fix this forever so that nobody ever has to worry about this ever again. And then C++ just becomes much more useful. It becomes much more useful to do graphics if we get a color type because then it will have best-in-class color support that just isn't wrong. Nobody has to roll their own ad hoc types anymore to do stuff. And that seems like fundamentally what we need to be trying to standardize, that kind of stuff. So asking you to look in your crystal ball if if the standards committee actually did standardize uh color types in the way that you're thinking of are any of these game engines going to be i mean obviously unreal wouldn't have to be but would the others are they going to reverse engineer is it possible for them to do it or are we just talking about them they've just done it so wrong and there's really no way to fix it so so there's 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 compromises that you could make so for example in sml one of the problems that it has in the linear color modes is that you lose loads of precision. But what you can do is you can say, well, that's acceptable. I'll define a conversion so that I can convert my stud color to a SF color. And then I'll just accept that when SFML is in this mode, I'll lose precision. And so you can make that compromise in user code where you're using a library that's built incorrectly. The other thing that you can do is that Hopefully, we'll be able to update SML if, if a color type gets standardized and just provide a new set of overloads. So MGUI is a good example. It's a little C++ UI toolkit. I say little, everybody uses it for everything, and it's great. Um, but hopefully, what we could get in there would be a new set of overloads so that you can say, well, instead of the old 32-bit thing that you pass in, you pass in a new stud color type. And then the old API doesn't go away. Everything just, you know, if you were using the old code, it still keeps working as brokenly as it did before but then code using the new stuff would be correct and it would be hard to mess up so that that's the ideal there would be that we could get existing apis to update to standard c++ which would be correct and it would make my life i would be so happy <laughs> but that would mean uh from the library's point of view they're storing data internally as 32-bit. So now they would make this choice because if they take a standard color and just map it to a 32-bit, it's not a huge win. So the other choice for them is, well, they could take the old API and map that to the standard color, but now they may have blown up their storage requirements. I mean, the implementers are maybe looking at some tough choices there. Yeah, so... so, so there are some trade-offs to be made in doing it correctly. Uh, the thing is, is that the trade-offs that you have to make and do it correctly are, I want it to be correct versus wrong. So if you, if you want correct <laughs> linear color, you're going to have to use more storage than if you want incorrect, done wrong linear color. So yeah, in, in, particularly in 2D graphics APIs, you don't have to worry about it so much uh, because the storage space for them is never that huge. And the underlying textures, importantly, don't need to have their storage space increased. You can still keep all the textures the same precision and same everything that they were before. So actually, the main overhead is, is passing a color into the API where you go, oh, I want to draw something red. You have to specify your red color and that will have to be floats rather than being four UNs. But that's not, that's not like a massive 
problem, to be honest. So I, I, I hope that it will all pan out great. All right. I think we can definitely say that uh, colour is not black and white. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this has been a very uh, colourful discussion. Oh, were, there, were there things that we wanted to uh, explore more? I think I already asked you if there was other stuff you wanted to beat up on this proposal. Um, you, you attended Prague? Yes, so yeah, I was at Prague. I presented to SG13 for an hour and 15 minutes about this. I felt I bad see. for them, but... It did they invite done. you back? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly enough, they actually did. Uh, it's, it went quite well, so I was, I was pleased about that. Okay. Um, are you coming back? Yeah, so hopefully in, in uh, I believe it's Varna, I will have a colour proposal along with Guy Davidson, who's a co-author. Hopefully I'll be presenting that then. Inevitably, people will find loads of things wrong with it, but... I'm quite looking forward to it. Actually, as negative as you make that sound, that's really what you want, is yeah. for people to find loads of things yeah, absolutely. wrong with it. I want, I want because... people to, to look at this and go, this is terrible, fix this, fix that, fix this, fix that. Because I want it to be yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to have to use this in my own job doing work with game developers. So if it's wrong, I'm just making my own life harder. So I would encourage you to, you know, post it on Reddit and say, you know, what is it that you put on the table? You say, you know, this is a perfect proposal. Convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, because of the fact that there's not enough game people, and certainly there are no color experts on the committee, so the thing for you to do is to is to seek other people's output um, it's, or opinions. Because just going to the committee, I suspect they're just going to essentially say, okay, you're the yeah. expert. And that's not what we really want yes what i actively want to avoid is is a lack of scrutiny about it so the proposal hopefully won't be that long but you will need to understand color management to understand whether or not it's correct because there's you have to worry about implementation divergence uh when you're doing various kinds of optimizations and stuff like that so people will need to look at it and go oh this is actually you've completely done this the most horribly wrong way in the entire universe here's a better way to do it so, so do you have sean parents email people. address <laughs> no, I don't. Oh. Um, I don't. I've never talked about uh, color with Sean, but uh, while I don't know if he's an expert on color, I absolutely know there are people at his company that are experts on color. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the, the takeaway from this is that I think my email will be published somewhere. Come and email me. If you find anything wrong with anything that I've said, send me a long, angry email or just post on Reddit telling me I'm stupid. I love, <laughs> I love it when people tell me I'm wrong because then I can, I can know that I'm, you know, I can learn more about it. So just insult me, tell me I'm a bad person, say awful things to me, but also tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'll be really interested. Okay. Well, it's um, a good takeaway for the show there. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a great discussion and, and time has just flown by. I think we're at the end uh, did you have anything you wanted to uh, uh, say, Phil, other than uh, some uh, colorful pun? He's a blue color work color worker over there. <laughs> no, I think we we, we we covered it in uh, well thoroughly. <laughs> All no, right, we didn't. <laughs> no, so we didn't. much more. <laughs> There's so much more. Um, I was being optimistic. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to say that I enjoyed reading your uh, your reading your review. Nice. I thought you were uh, you made the points you made. You made them diplomatically. I, I suspect there were a few times as I was reading this that you wished you were using stronger language and you had 
restrained. I reworded um, it a lot to make it as polite as humanly possible because I, I have a tendency to to go, oh, this is all terrible, and then I wanted it, you know, because the authors have put a huge amount of work into it, and it's it's not yes. terrible. Yes, it's, you know, it's all no, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's fine. Uh, it's just there's problems with it that need to be addressed. Um, right. So that's what I really wanted to get was, you know, this is the technical issues. Let's be technical about this, and I'm going to word this helpfully. Yeah, I, I, I will say. Uh, that engineers do have a, a, t- a tendency to be black and white about stuff. It's like, hey, there's this problem. This whole thing's bullshit, um, and uh, and and can't always express things. Uh, you know, when I moderate comments on the YouTube channels for the conferences, very often there's a there's a comment that's both thoughtful and thoughtless. Yeah. And you know, it's like this is bullshit. Blah blah blah. And and the blah 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 is like. Yeah, there's might be yes. something to say, but I'm not going to let this comment go through because this is just the wrong tone. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, it's very important to take the right tone in this kind of yeah. thing. Everybody's got to be everybody's got to be friendly, respectful, and helpful to each other. Which, frankly, everything was in the standard in the committee when I went. It was all just technical stuff. Everybody was very lovely. Sure, so and and the thing great. the thing to keep in mind is that even when someone is making an argument that you don't think has technical merits, they are making it for the best of reasons. There's yep. nobody on the standards committee who's saying <laughs> we'll get them all to use Rust eventually. Uh, we'll make C plus plus so unusable they have to use Rust. That's just not happening, right? I mean, everybody's heart's in the right place. It's Bianca. He's the sleeper agent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, we should probably wind this up and uh, wish everyone who is listening uh, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding.